Before I read our uh, second lesson today um, and look at it together with you, I want to commend Neil for his words during the announcements. Uh, he not only spoke to us, he spoke for us, I am certain. It seems like whenever we're going through a time of crisis or turmoil in the nation, in the communities we live in, in our churches, uh, often the church looks to its leadership to say something um, that speaks to the situation. And I've been thinking about that. And uh, so we'll ask for a moment of personal privilege because I felt compelled to, to write something that I'm feeling or thinking at the present time in light of what we're going through as a society. <clears throat> and I will share it with you now. And again, as Neil said, uh, as leaders, we're speaking for ourselves. So we, we don't, you don't necessarily have to agree with us, but you may want to know what we're thinking and feeling on this occasion. This is not a statement of the church. It's a personal statement. It hasn't been approved by session or anyone else. But uh, uh, with this moment of personal privilege, I would like to read what I wrote late yesterday. On top of the coronavirus pandemic that has put a huge strain on this and other countries and this and other congregations, and which is far from being resolved despite our fantasized hopes to the contrary, we now have the added agony of having had to watch recently the unwarranted killing of yet, yet another black man, George Floyd, at the hands of those who are committed to protect and serve, as well as the consequent senseless violence, destruction, and looting that have followed in its wake. We feel the pain of all victims of unreasonable force by police or others. We know the outrage and anger of peaceful protesters who are tired of these seemingly endless attacks on people of color who have known more than their share of discrimination, abuse, and injustice over the course of this nation's history. As followers of Jesus Christ and as members of this congregation, we are committed to working to end racism, prejudice, and discrimination by individuals and human institutions and systems. We seek better to understand our own blatant and subtle culp culpability that ignores or excuses intolerable evil and sin. We seek God's forgiveness and mercy for us and for others and pray that God may use the raw pain of this most recent tragedy to open the eyes of all that we may someday soon see the end of this other plague among us that injures and kills God's children and threatens the country we love. May God help us and may God even use us to be instruments in creating a beloved community where all may live in peace and security with justice and equity for all and in harmony with God and neighbor. As your transitional pastor, I would like to challenge each and every one of us in any way we can to examine our own lives, our own attitudes, our own actions, and thus become part of the solution to this pandemic of hatred and violence within us and around us. <clears throat> Scripture tells us that we cannot love God whom we do not see if we do not love the neighbor that we do see. And Gandhi once charged people to be the change you wish to see in the world. Be that change. <clears throat> Friends in Christ, if we are not part of the solution, then we are invariably part of the problem. Silence is complicity in this matter, and our witness and our continuing work together as a people 
is critically needed at this time and in this place. Edmund Burke, decades ago, centuries ago now, <clears throat> wrote that all that is needed for the triumph of evil is that the good do nothing. We will not, with God's help, resort to saying and doing nothing, nor will we turn a blind eye or deaf ear to the scenes and sounds of hatred, violence, and injustice. May the Lord be our guide and our stay during this time. Thank you very much. <clears throat> our next lesson is the, the first chapter of the book of Revelation. We're going to be examining the seven letters to the churches of Asia in the coming weeks. Instructions, messages, words that the risen Christ through John in a vision gives to the churches of Asia Minor. So this is the introduction to this series. Uh, and I invite you to look in your own Bibles as we read. In fact, it would be helpful going forward if you remember to have your Bible with you if you're worshiping at home or somewhere else as we look at some of these texts together. So let us listen for the Word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to, to him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priest serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. <clears throat> Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who shares with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, <coughs> to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned and saw the face of the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were as white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last, 
I am the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almost everyone has certain expectations for what the Church of Jesus Christ and the particular congregations of which we are part, what they ought to be and what they ought to do. I have my expectations. You have your expectations. People in the church, people out of the church have expectations of the church. People on the left and right of the political spectrum, black and white and brown and yellow, every color of the rainbow has expectations, not only for their churches where they are, but for the larger church, the rich and the poor, the young and the old. Preachers and parishioners have our own expectations. This past year, we as a congregation spent a lot of time meeting with various constituencies in the church, interviewing people, surveying people to try to discern what is it that we would like to see the church here in Greensboro, First Presbyterian, be and do going forward, especially as we're engaged in the process of calling new leadership and a new senior pastor that will arrive hopefully, hopefully sometime this year. But uh, while these, all of these expectations are interesting and important and need to be heard, certainly the primary expectation that we should give heed to is what Christ expects of his church. What Christ expects of his followers, of those people who bear his name into the world. Surely the expectations of Jesus for those of us who follow him trumps all of our individual and corporate expectations. One of the things this current coronavirus pandemic has brought to light is how our members of this church are passionate about this congregation, about how we worship, about our safety protocols, about campus activities, about technology, you name it. Everyone has their ideas of what we should be and doing. And we have groups that are meeting to deal with all of these, representative groups from various uh, parts of the congregation are, are dealing with this. But the coronavirus has brought these expectations into bold relief during this time, just as an illustration of our varied expectations. And add to that uh, the recent turmoil and tragedy we've been going through on the streets of America uh, with the death of, um, of people of color. We have even more expectations by members of the church and outsiders as to what the church ought to be and to do. This past year, we have been discussing as a staff our own expectations of the members of this church. Remember last, uh, last fall in our revival, we place certain expectations upon our members with the support of the session. We ask that our members commit to being in worship at least twice a week, that they commit to being involved in some kind of spiritual growth opportunity or study, that they commit to being financially supportive of the church. And we have a debate, a running debate about 
do we have too high of expectations or too low of expectations? Because I think we all realize that people tend to live up or down to the expectations that are placed upon them. But surely if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which we believe and which we profess, then ultimately Christ alone has the right and the authority, the wisdom and the love to direct us, to guide us, to set our course. Well, preacher, you may be thinking to yourself, that's well and good, but how do we really know what Christ expects of the church? Because even people that bear his name have different expectations. They are not all agreed as to what his life and witness really meant for us or how to interpret the words of Scripture. What is more, Jesus didn't leave us a book behind. He left no instruction manual. What he left behind was a community of people, followers and disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, who are to discern the will and the work of Christ and engage in that. And so we do have the Gospels, which give us a view of the life and ministry of Jesus over a three-year period. We even have some other Gospels that weren't accepted into the canon of Scripture that tried to speak of Christ. You can look at those if you wish, but they're not authoritative for us in the church. Uh, we have the witness of the Scriptures to reveal the will of God for His church. We have the Holy Spirit. In John, the 16th chapter, a passage we looked at uh, over Pentecost, we read, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's an awesome teaching that the Spirit of God is present within the church and through the Spirit speaking to the gathered church through prayer and study of the Scriptures and communication with one another, we believe that the Spirit continues to speak the Word of Christ for His people today. So that is also a source for knowing the will of Christ. But there's yet another source that we give little credence to more often and not, and I wish to explore that with you in the coming weeks. It is not a record of the life of Jesus as recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. It's not the record of his parables or his miracles. But it is the record of a vision by a man named John living in exile because of his faith. A vision where he is convinced that the risen Christ is speaking to him and directing him to write letters, seven letters to seven major churches in the Roman province that was called Asia back then. In these visions, in these messages, the risen Christ gives direction, comfort, encouragement, judgment, condemnation on occasion. But I think we're obligated to listen to what is being said by the Christ in this book of Scripture. We tend to shy away from Revelation. All of us do. I've shied away from it through most of my ministry. It is a bizarre book. It is filled with all this... Uh, puzzling symbolism and numerology and uh, it's hard to interpret. Martin Luther was one of those who believed that the book shouldn't even be included in the canon of Scripture. And it almost wasn't. It was late being accepted into the Scripture because there was such uncertainty about it because it is 
apocalyptic literature, and it's hard to understand and apply apocalyptic literature quite often. But yet, here it is. It's in the scriptures. We have to do something with it. So let us at least consider in these letters that are a part of the Revelation what Christ might be saying. And if he's saying it, do we believe him when he says it? We were doing officer training over the weekend, and one of the things I said to our new officers is that there's a difference in believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. I believe that there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus as a doctrinal affirmation. We affirm it in the, a creed every week. But do they really believe Jesus when he says certain things they're not comfortable with? You can believe in Jesus and yet not believe Jesus. What he's speaking, what he's, he is charging us to be and to do. So how much credence really do we give to this book of Revelation and to the voice of Christ that is expressed in these strange visions or dreams? I think first we have to recognize that this is one of the way that, ways that God historically has spoken to his people. Through dreams and visions. It's hard to nail those down. And yet the scriptures teach that God addresses his people in this, through this medium. He spoke to Isaiah through a vision he had when he went into the temple in Isaiah 6. And he's called to be a prophet because of that experience. He speaks to Paul in a vision in the 16th chapter of uh, Acts where he, in this vision, sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And the next day, Paul obviously took that as a word from Jesus. He set sail for Macedonia. Some of us have had experiences of... God speaking to us through visions or dreams. I've not had such a dream myself, but I have to say, I've shared this with a few of you, how the course of my ministry may have been changed by a vision a parishioner had when I was in Tennessee. I'd been in that church about 10 years, and a, a woman in the church knocked on my door in between services and says, she said, I have to get something off my chest. I have to talk to you. I'm embarrassed to be here, but I have to share something with you. I said, come in. She came in, and she said, uh, I'm just going to give it to you straight out. Uh, I had a dream or a vision. I, I think it was a dream the other night. And Jesus was speaking to me, and he said to me that I was to come and tell you that your work here is not finished. Well, the odd thing is, only the week before that, I'd received a telephone call from a search committee of a prestigious congregation. Uh, that uh, ask if I would be interested in at least talking with their search committee and they would like to come up on a particular Sunday and hear me preach if I was going to preach, be preaching that day. And so I'd agreed to, yes, I would talk to them if they came up. And so after my friend Madeline uh, said this, she said, well, I want you to know I don't even believe in this kind of stuff. She was a Ph.D. professor in math at nearby university. She said, but I just have to have some peace at night. So this, I'm telling you, do with it what you want. I don't care. I'm just giving you the message that I think was given to me. So that afternoon, I called the man who had called me and said, no, my work here isn't finished. I think I'm not going to be willing to talk with you. Now, they may not have called me. That would probably be the case anyway. But I couldn't even consider it because I really felt, in her words, that that was a voice from God through a dream. And so I ended up staying and was thankful that I did another three or four years in that congregation. So God does speak through dreams and visions. He does so in the scriptures. He does so in our own lives on perhaps rare occasions, but simply, but still on occasions. 
Of course, the primary means for knowing what Christ expects of the church is just to consider the life of Christ, the words of Christ. He is the living word. The scriptures are the written word and they bear witness to him. John Lee, theologian who taught at Union Seminary, said that Jesus Christ is the intelligible event that makes all other events intelligible. So Jesus Christ himself is the lens through which we look at scripture, we will look at issues of faith and life. We test them in light of the, the words and the witness of Jesus Christ. At any rate, the book of Revelation o opens with this majestic and mysterious vision in which Christ directs John to write down what is being dictated to him, record it, and send these letters to the churches of Asia. Now, I believe that these messages to these seven churches contain timeless truths that we need to consider as a church in our own time and in our own place. I think we will find in these letters words of, words of encouragement and conviction, words of challenge and correction, words of warning, that we need to hear. As John repeats in his revelation of Jesus, as it is called, he says, let everyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now before we get into the actual letters, we will start with the first one next week as we look at the letter to the church at Ephesus and what that means for us in our time. But let me just say a few things as background as we begin this study. First of all, this is a book written by John, but which John? Was it the Apostle John? The early centuries of the church pretty much were convinced that it was the Apostle John. Uh, they knew that he had spent some of his latter years nearby in Ephesus, and perhaps it was this John who, because of his faith and conviction, was exiled to go to Patmos. Some of you have probably been to the island of Patmos, some 60 miles off the, the coast of Asia Minor. Uh, and you can visit there a cave that at least the residents say was where this John lived and wrote uh, pretty much in isolation. But was it the Apostle John? He never claims to be the Apostle. Never claims to be. And there are occasions in his book where it would have seemed likely that he would have admitted it because he refers to the Apostles almost in the, a third person in an objective sense. Uh, was, it, was it this John? Was it another John? Was it a disciple of one of the main Johns? A disciple of uh, the, the Apostle John? Was it a disciple of John the Baptist? The man writing only identifies himself as John. He does say that he is a fellow sufferer, a fellow servant. Some believe that he was a, a Palestinian Christian who had fled persecution into Asia. Some refer to him as John the Elder. Probably the best way to refer to him is simply as John of Patmos because we're not certain which John it actually was. What we know for certain is that it was written to a church that was undergoing persecution and suffering because of their faith. Because the Roman government, the Caesar, required everyone in his realm to worship him to bow down, to recognize even his divinity. Now, some of them took their divinity more seriously than others, but all of them persecuted the church, nearly all of them. But which emperor was this? 
Was it as early as Nero from 54 to 68 AD, the madman Nero who persecuted the Christians? Was it later under Domitian from 81 to 96? It was probably during this time that the Apostle John died as an older man. Was it under Trajan? 98 to 117 A.D. Well, we're not really told. We're not sure which uh, Caesar it was, just like we're not sure which John it was, but it really doesn't matter. It was a time of persecution for the people of God. It was a time when to profess faith in Jesus Christ ran you the risk of being alienated from your culture, from your government, from other religious folk, even from your own family. Now, Revelation has been interpreted in different ways by different people over the years. Some see it as a book that's trying to predict the future. And many religious fanatics and religious cults really get into this. And uh, so that's another reason so many of us shy away from it, because you can twist the words of Revelation and make them mean about anything you want to make them mean. Uh, so it's popular among uh, fringe elements within the Christian church because so many of them think this is predicting the future. I get letters almost every week from someone who thinks he can predict the future uh, because of his interpretation of this book. But I'm not among those who think this is the primary message of the church, nor am I among those who think that this is just an early record of the history of the church. It really doesn't have any relevance to contemporary times or contemporary churches. I disagree with that. I think it is very relevant and needs to be read and heard. I believe it is a warning and an encouragement to the struggling people of God and to the followers of Jesus Christ in the face of conflict and controversy. And it is my prayer as we go through this study together, we will experience and claim a promise we found in this morning's lesson in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.